this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. My name is Matthew Byler. I'm a general surgery resident here at the University of Virginia. It's my privilege today to speak with Dr. Curtis Tribble about iatrogenic aortic dissections. Uh, Dr. Tribble, he's currently a professor of surgery here and the associate program director of thoracic surgery residency at the University of Virginia. Um, thank you uh, for speaking with us today, Dr. Tribble. My pleasure. So we'll first start with a case scenario. So you have a 68-year-old male who's taken to the OR for three-vessel cabbage, and shortly after placement of the arterial cannula in the ascending aorta, the perfusionist notes some high line pressures with the test infusion, and a purple-colored hematoma begins to form in the ascending aorta around the cannulation site. And at that point, the patient becomes hypotensive with maps in the 50s, and there's no ST changes on the EKG, and the pericardium appears unchanged. Can you walk me through what you're thinking in this moment and how you'd proceed? Sure. The uh, uh, adventitial hematoma alone will not explain the high line pressure that was seen on the test infusion. Uh, sometimes you can get an adventitial hematoma around a cannulation site that's fairly benign, but in a case like this, you know for sure that the uh, aortic cannula has been inserted between the layers of the aorta so therefore it's a misplaced aortic uh, cannula and uh, should not be used any further um, and uh, under these conditions by definition this is an atrogenic aortic dissection caused by the cannula insertion which will require repair so the next steps that need to be considered uh, are as noted, you cannot infuse anything further through that cannula. Furthermore, you shouldn't rush to take it out. You'll want to evaluate the extent of the hematoma because sometimes they're fairly limited. Very importantly, you need to immediately begin discussions with everyone in the room. First and foremost, you need to ask the anesthesiologist to round up extra help uh, because they'll likely need an extra pair of hands or maybe more We'll also ask them to uh, manage the hemodynamics with the obvious goal of uh, creating a situation of relative hypotension, which may minimize further extension of this uh, dissection, which may be fairly limited in some cases at least. Most of the time they will have had a, a, a transesophageal echocardiography probe in place, but if not, they need to have one put in right away to evaluate the extent of the intimal tear, the degree of expansion, to evaluate the aortic uh, valve for the possibility of insufficiency, and uh, to look at LV uh, function. You also need to immediately, uh, after that, turn to your perfusion team uh, and ask them to get more help for their team as well. They may need extra gear for alternative cannulation sites, and they need to be thinking ahead about the possibility uh, that circa rest will be used. You'll also need to ask the scrub team to get at least one extra scrub nurse in the room uh, as is likely that two operative sites will be needed uh, to obtain uh, alternative or remote uh, cannulation 
for the arterial uh, return from the bypass machine. And you'll also need to get them to round up the uh, extra cannulas that will be needed on the sterile field since the one that's in the aorta should not be removed and won't be used again. Finally, you want to uh, call for an extra set of skilled hands, uh, whether that be a colleague, a senior resident, a physician's assistant, will depend on who's available, of course. But the basic issue is that you'll need help with two operative sites simultaneously, that being the uh, central um, uh, sternotomy and, and uh, um, cardiac site as well as a peripheral cannulation site. Furthermore, a knowledgeable colleague will be able to help uh, in thinking through this complex situation uh, since multiple parts of this complex team will need to be working independently but in sync with each other. Right, so uh, a lot of good insights there at the beginning of this kind of complex scenario, and I noticed you focused a lot on management of the room, so I appreciate those insights. So some additional patient information, you know, moving forward. Um, the preoperative CT scan of the patient showed that he does have a normal aorta. There's no aneurysms and there's no other aortic abnormalities. And when the anesthesiologist does the transesophageal echocardiogram, it does demonstrate an intimal flap tear in the ascending aorta. So, um, you know, from here, you know, how do you, how do you move forward? So first and foremost, uh, uh, the uh, top priority is to obtain an alternative cannulation site as fast as is uh, feasible. Uh, th this case does illustrate the importance of considering preoperatively in all cardiac patients the uh, um, possibility of needing alternative cannulation sites. In my opinion, the first uh, option should be the femoral artery if it's uh, not diseased. It is fast, reliable, and it is uh, away from your primary operative field. All the other options are less desirable under these conditions, in my opinion. Uh, the axillary is good for cerebral perfusion, but it takes time to do it, quite a bit more time than a femoral cannulation, and it's harder to do when the chest is already open and the team working on the chest is in the way. Some surgeons are using more and more these days the carotid artery, which is a little more accessible, but still not uh, as accessible under these conditions and probably has not been prepped into the field. Another option is to uh, utilize direct exam, maybe even epi-aortic ultrasound, as well as the transesophageal echocardiography uh, to uh, consider the possibility of direct aortic cannulation in the undissected aorta, possibly proximal to where the um, cannulation site that is dissected uh, is located. This is best done with a Seldinger technique in which a needle is put in, a wire is placed, and the uh, position of the wire can be confirmed on uh, with the echocardiogram. It's important not to remove the original cannula yet. 
while uh, of course not using it at all. You need to gain additional uh, understanding of the degree of dissection of the uh, uh, degree of the dissection, um, and uh, this can be uh, um, evaluated both by direct inspection and by the transesophageal echocardiogram, of course. Uh, Although it's unlikely in this setting, you need to consider the possibility that the dissection is extended into the root, which might cause uh, acute aortic insufficiency and may actually, in some cases, cause a dissection of the orifice of one or both of the coronaries. As best you can, you want to assess the distal extent as well. Um, because that may uh, change your plan uh, though the truth is the extent uh, is usually limited if the perfusion was stopped immediately after the test infusion. Obviously you need to obtain venous access. The uh, preferred method in conditions like this would be a single two or three stage right atrial cannula. Uh, that strategy is quick, easy, reliable, and safe. Uh, you do not need to consider uh, fancier versions of venous drainage under these conditions, such as uh, bicable cannulation. It is possible to use a retrograde cerebral uh, cannula separate from the venous drainage for um, cerebral protection, uh, and uh, that uh, strategy is a um, described one in the literature. You'd want to also place a retrograde coronary sinus cardioplegia cannula because you're going to need to uh, be able to protect the heart while doing this operation. And it's difficult to place coronary sinus catheters after the cross clamp is on. You also need to be sure that you can cross clamp the aorta, uh, which might require some dissection between the pulmonary artery and the aorta. It's important also to place an LV vent, usually through the right superior pulmonary vein. Um, it's important to do this with the heart full if possible because it's much easier to place the vent uh, properly in the LV and to ensure that it is uh, there uh, so drainage will be optimal. When all of this is done, it's time to go on bypass and you want to cool to uh, a temperature that will allow uh, reasonable protection of the brain. Uh, the usual target is 18 degrees, um, though once in a while if you think you're going to be able to do a very limited repair very expeditiously, you might consider not cooling quite so much, but the uh, safest alternative is to uh, cool all the way to 18. Uh, during that time, you may need to clamp the aorta, even if it's dissected, uh, uh, and arrest the heart if the heart is distending and cannot be um, kept empty with the LV vent. Uh, obviously the LV vent will help treat this distension uh, but uh, there may be times when you cannot clamp the native aorta if there's calcium in it or there's uh, extreme distension or uh, if perhaps it's uh, leaking in some way from the dissection. You, of course, cannot place a root vent in this uh, situation. And, you know, one scenario that I've seen in, uh, under these circumstances um, is that while you're uh, 
while you're cooling the patient, um, you begin to see the heart as um, acutely distending. You know, if you see that, what's what's going through your mind? Well, most of the time, particularly if this distension is significant, it's going to indicate at least some degree of aortic insufficiency. And it is critical to control that distension. The heart can be injured mechanically at the cellular level by distension that can uh, result in a permanent injury to the uh, left ventricular muscle. So the steps uh, that one would uh, employ would be to turn up the suction on the LV vent. And uh, if that is inadequate, you're gonna have to clamp the aorta somehow. That's almost always possible, even if there's some calcium, even if there's uh, dissection, um, uh, it's almost always feasible to clamp the aorta. You want to try to clamp a part of the aorta that you're going to remove so that if it does injure the aorta, uh, it won't matter. You can also have someone hold the heart, that is to compress it, to uh, um, prevent the majority of the uh, uncontrolled distension. Another bailout option is to cannulate the apex of the heart for a bigger vent that's working better. Uh, it's worth remembering that in the older days of cardiac surgery, the apex of the heart was cannulated on every cardiac case for uh, LV venting. Now, once the, the clamp is on, uh, or if uh, you've gotten to the point where you can actually stop the pump uh, going into full circulatory arrest, you want to further protect the heart with your retrograde coronary sinus cannula. You need to be sure that the uh, effluent from that uh, infusion can be vented if the aorta is not open at that point. It'd be a good time to open it uh, above the level of the sinotubular junction. Obviously, if you've arrested, uh, circ arrested, you're going to uh, need to be thinking about cerebral protection, uh, as was mentioned earlier. Now it's time to perform the dissection repair, starting with the distal anastomosis first. Uh, this is under the conditions of circ arrest done open, and there's a variety of techniques for, for doing that, uh, which we won't describe here. But once that uh, distal anastomosis is complete, you want to start the pump back up, fill the aorta, de-air, then clamp the graft, and resume full cardiopulmonary bypass with slow rewarming. Remember that you can never have a greater uh, differential in temperature between the uh, arterial and venous blood than 10 degrees so that you won't have uh, nitrogen coming out of solution and causing uh, gaseous emboli. Now it's time to consider what needs to be done for the proximal anastomosis. This may require repair of the aortic root. Uh, that's pretty commonly needed uh, in a primary uh, uh, spontaneous dissection, much less likely to be needed under these conditions of, of an iatrogenic dissection caused by the cannula. Still, the anastomosis uh, uh, and the sinotubular root uh, edges and, and the root need to be evaluated very carefully. Once that anastomosis and whatever repair uh, that is needed have been done, it's time to perform the coronary bypass operation. First of all, you need to consider the possibility that there may have been uh, some involvement of the proximal coronaries in the dissection itself. 
and you need to have thought about that when the root is open because it may alter your graft strategy. It's also worth noting that uh, you may change your operative plan from what you were planning to do when you thought this was going to be an elective coronary bypass operation. The objective here is to get the patient out of the operating room intact and alive and specifically you can consider the possibility of not grafting every small uh, coronary branch but get the major uh, bypasses done assuming that the rest can be treated medically or perhaps in the cath lab at a later time. And you know, before recording this, you and I were speaking, and um, you know, you'd mentioned that these are incredibly rare. And in your multiple decades of practice, you've seen two of these in your life. And I don't I think you mentioned that neither of those were actually during a coronary um, bypass operation; they're doing other operations. Um, and most iatrogenic aortic dissections are recognized early, and when that's the case, there's around a 55 to 85 percent survival. And the less common case of uh, late recognition survival drops to around 50%. Um, so let's say we have a patient whom we didn't diagnose the dissection until we came off pump by TEE. Um, what's your next move from here? Well, first of all, get over your level of disappointment as quickly as possible and uh, get back into the mode that this uh, will need to be treated. Um, some similar thoughts about uh, keeping your team uh, organized and coordinated, uh, as we discussed earlier, will be important. Um, ultimately, you'll need to uh, reheparinize, recannulate in some alternative site, um, cool, circarrest, and repair the aorta. Uh, this uh, can present some challenges if grafts were attached to the SNE aorta, but uh, um, those challenges are usually manageable by carefully removing the grafts and eventually sewing those vein grafts that were on the native aorta back to the um, graft that has been used to replace and repair the um, mm -hmm. SNE aorta. So now let's say that um, in the scenario we successfully completed the cabbage and we've gotten the patient to the uh, post-operative ICU, and during their initial post-operative course, they develop signs of myocardial ischemia and hemodynamic instability. Um, you know, what's your thinking from here, and what are, what are the next steps? How do you work this up? Well, the, the primary things that uh, would explain such a situation would be some sort of uh, graft dysfunction, whether it be a kink, a twist, thrombosis, uh, or something of that sort but it could also include the possibility that there was unrecognized dissection of the uh, coronaries uh, at the time of the initial uh, repair. And um, So uh, obviously some of the uh, um, usual um, studies will be immediately ordered like chest x-rays and EKGs and uh, an echo. Uh, the EKG um, can be very helpful in localizing uh, a problem uh, and uh, you'll need a good quality EKG in order to do that. Uh, the same can be said of the echo uh, and that is specifically sometimes um, uh, you, it will be worth asking for uh, a 
an echocardiogram to be done with a better echo probe with a uh, uh, someone who's more expert at uh, performing and looking at the echoes than perhaps uh, you uh, as the cardiac surgeon or the intensivist might be. Um, obviously, if you find that uh, there seems to be a dissection present that you had not recognized uh, during the operation, you'll need to uh, return to the operating room and address that in a manner similar to those that we've already discussed. However, the much more common scenario will be that there's a graft problem and not a dissection, and um, then you can go down the pathway of trying to figure out how to support the patient, uh, whether it be with vasodilators, enteric balloon pump, um, anticoagulants, but uh, as often as not, and maybe even more often than not, you'll want to consider going back to the cath lab to define clearly what's going on. First of all, uh, they may be able to do something in the cath lab that's reasonable to ameliorate the situation under these conditions, but equally importantly, if you know you're going back to the operating room, you'd like to focus on the uh, a well-defined problem area. All right, so yeah, that dissection is something uh, though pretty rare that we'll have to keep in mind in a post-operative setting. And you know, before you and I were talking and about you know some of these more rare instances, that um, the next time I see something like this in my my life right now as a trainee, we're talking about it. It may be several decades from now and. Uh, and I'm, all of a sudden I'm the one in charge, so it's something that some of these small, more rare instances to, for us to keep in the back of our minds. So another scenario, or perhaps we take the same patient who um, is three years status post, um, uh, uneventful cabbage, and they're undergoing a chest CT for workup of an unrelated issue. Um, and um, it's noted to have an ascending aortic dissection um, is this something you've seen, and if, if uh, you did see this, how would you move forward? That's a pretty rare circumstance, um, and uh, I may have seen a case or two or heard of a case or two of this sort, but um, although the scenario certainly makes it seem as though this is a chronic situation, you'll want to reconsider the possibility that it's not all that chronic and uh, that might be discerned by characteristics of the, of the um, uh, aorta and the, the um, uh, various uh, parts of the dissection that might be um, imaged. Uh, obviously, you'd want to also take into consideration uh, the history um, that might be present that could help sort through that. But in most cases of this sort, that would be an asymptomatic chronic dissection and there would uh, not be a need for emergency surgery, especially if the patient was asymptomatic. Uh, the main indications for repair would revolve around uh, expansion or size criteria, um, and uh, your considerations would be modified depending on whether or not you thought the patient had some sort of connective tissue disorder. Excellent. Well, thank you, Dr. Tribble, for your time and your insights. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you about this topic, and this concludes this TSRA podcast.